Climate change and environmental injustices are having a shrinking window for us to take action and demand a sustainable future. Frontline communities that are and will brace the worst of the impacts are often communities of color and low-income communities that often are not the ones most responsible for creating the problem. This podcast series centers on Stockton, California, a city situated in the heart of the Central Valley, and shows the various climate impacts that we face, as well as the stories and actions that local individuals have been taking to try to move the issue in a positive direction. In this first episode, we hear from Jazzy Pachel and Irene Kalimlam on the impact of redlining on Stockton and how young people have been building their leadership and getting involved in climate and environmental action. There's a growing movement of young leaders representing diverse backgrounds that have started to become prominent voices in the climate change movement. This has not always been the case as environmental advocacy started from the roots of resource protection and animal species protection and lacked voices from people of color. However, awareness has been growing about the ways that low-income communities, especially minority communities, are directly impacted and face health impacts from environmental pollution. And it all starts with the history of redlining. Why is it that neighborhoods within miles of each other can have up to a 20 year life expectancy difference? And how can policies from the past continue to cripple whole groups of people and create a wealth gap? Redlining is a historical policy that is often cited as a harmful federal policy that created divides in quality of life and opportunity based on the built environment. So, what is redlining? Redlining is a policy that happened back in the 1920s and 1930s when banks, the Federal Housing Administration, and the Homeowners Loan Corporation systematically denied mortgages to minority populations for certain neighborhoods. It literally drew out and carved maps marking zones of the city as red, yellow, blue, and green. What distinguishes redlined areas is that they're deemed as bad or unappealing because of concentrations of minority populations, which helped back loans to Caucasian families to buy homes in the blue and green zones. While housing loans don't necessarily cause environmental pollution, The designation of the red zones created a distinct sector of an undesirable area and led to the siting of environmental hazards, landfills, highways, and factories to be brought into redline communities, which has created conditions in the present of Stockton ranking really high in environmental pollution and a designation as a disadvantaged community. So we're your hosts, Irene and Jazzy, and we're each going to introduce ourselves and how um, we personally connect to the issues of redlining and um, as young people elevating our voices to be a part of the change. I'll start. Uh, My name's Irene. I am a daughter of Filipino and Japanese immigrants, and I moved to Stockton at the age of seven, right in a home that's uh, situated in South Stockton, 
just below the Crosstown Freeway in the historic Little Manila neighborhood. Um, and while that's definitely important to my Filipino background, by the time I moved there, um, there was a lot of the Filipino um, and other populations that were displaced. Um, and today it's a neighborhood known for high rates of violence, homeless encampments and pollution. Whereas in the 1960s, it was home to the largest population of Filipino migrants, um, really rich uh, little Tokyo history and, and Chinatown history, as well as uh, the El Barrio del Chivo neighborhoods um, and had a lot of community assets. And then the Crosstown Freeway was built despite protest of many of those community groups and residents located in that neighborhood. And the reason why that freeway was built also ties into the story of the environmental pollution because it allows for the major transportation route directly to the port of Stockton, one of our biggest polluters in the city, and connects it to um, the Interstate 99 and Interstate 5, which are major north and south highways in California. And now South Stockton is boxed in on three sides with freeways, uh, creating bad environmental health conditions for residents and high rates of asthma. And personally, uh, this background is why I became an environmental justice advocate and went on to uh, get my BA in public health and master's in city planning and public health. And I think once people start learning the history of Stockton and how the environment got so bad, that has helped uh, that that's what's helped push in a lot of new people to become advocates and fight for justice on their for their communities, especially a lot of young people, which we've been seeing. Um, and that's where I'll pass it uh, to one of our young people and my co-host for today, Jazzy Pichel. Hello, I'm Jazzy. I'm 15 years old. I moved to Tracy the summer before I started high school, and I instantly noticed how different it was from my previous home in San Francisco. I've, growing up, I've always had a pull toward Earth, but I didn't get involved in environmental justice advocacy until high school. Um, I saw various problems and issues that concerned the environment, which ranged from lack of green spaces to food deserts and temperature rising that I wanted to help solve. And as someone who's taken an interest in environmental justice, I've made a few concerning observations about my area. One is that there is a blatant difference between North and South Stockton, one that is so obvious that even those who aren't from there, like myself, can notice it with ease. North Stockton is home to nice neighborhoods and lots of greenery because it's green-lined. Think picture-perfect suburbs while South Stockton has a greenery shortage and far less healthy food options. It's essentially a food desert. South Stockton is even hotter than North Stockton because it's been redlined. And San Francisco exhibits a very similar, if saddening, pattern. The Tenderloin, a predominantly African-American neighborhood, contrasts greatly with the Marina, a predominantly white neighborhood. The Tenderloin has little to no green spaces and produce markets, mostly just liquor and corner stores, while the marina has plenty of parks and healthy food options. Streets in the Tenderloin are dirty and unkempt, while streets in the marina are clean and well-maintained. Observations like these are what sparked my interest in environmental justice because I wanted to change them. 
So while redlining is a negative past policy that many people are trying to undo, uh, we learned of an interesting concept that's the opposite of redlining, and uh, Jazzy mentioned it, called the term greenlining. And that was a term introduced to us um, when we had a partnership with the Greenlining Institute. And um, it was a really very interesting concept that centers a lot of the things that we're trying to bring into the community. So whereas uh, redlining uh, was about disinvesting in communities of color and bringing in negative things like environmental hazards, pollutants, greenlining is the opposite. It's about bringing in investment, so like literal green like cash, but also uh, opportunities specifically to disadvantage communities. And it's also a great term in the environmental sense because greenlining is also literally bringing in more green from green spaces, planting trees, uh, creating community gardens, and bringing that all into the communities that have historically been redlined. And it's also about building up the capacity and leadership in those communities to be able to speak out and create the positive change that they want to see brought in. So we really like the concept. It aligns with a lot of the stuff that we've been trying to do here. Um, and so we started the local movement called Greenlining the Hood uh, to bring in more investments and programs to help improve the environment in South Stockton and empower residents to take action. So these five podcast series uh, we're excited to share because each one will highlight a different initiative and campaign that's currently active in Stockton to improve the environment. And this first one that we're both hosting together is on the power of youth and elevating youth leadership to make changes in their community. Um, so, so I noticed in the climate change movement that young people are the most prominent voices and activists uh, more so than in maybe other uh, social justice issues. Why do you think that is? Um, I've also noticed that too. And I think it's because we as youth are concerned about our environment because it's our future. And it's clear that to have a future, we must fight for it. Um, another reason is that social media, something most if not all youth use, um, has been a huge means of spreading information to us and allowing us to get more involved in helping solve the issues that we see not only in our communities but all over social media as well. And youth voices are the most powerful voices because we're not only fighting for our future but we are the future and others see that so they give way for our voices rather than stealing the attention. Yeah, and um, I noticed that you were actively involved in sustainability stuff from even uh, before getting involved with uh, our agency. Can you talk about some of the actions that you've been taking and what motivated you to take those actions? Yeah, um, summer of 2020 was when I really started getting deeply involved with environmental justice. Something that I did with Summer Academy was um, taking and sharing test packets with um, low-income families. We delivered these test packets to them directly to their homes and we hosted workshops that tested air, water, and soil quality. 
Um, these test packets were free and these workshops were led to give a step-by-step -step tutorial on how to test these air, water, and soil, as well as we connected the data from each of these tests and households. I also convinced my parents to be more environmentally cautious by convincing them to buy solar panels for the roof, which is not only better for the planet, but also better for our pockets since it saves money on electricity. I also convinced them to buy an electric car, which was no easy feat, but again, it's better for the environment and more financially practical since it saved us tons of money on gas. With the summer experience, you said you, with the testing of uh, air, water, and soil, wasn't there something about that that like brought it, that you were able to see really the direct impact to your community with things that were happening? Yes, I was. Summer of 2020 was the summer of the huge wildfires yeah. that raged over California. Um, and we, when we tested the air, they gave us this little device that gauged the air quality from zero to 100 zero being hazardous and 100 being utopian air. And when I tested the air outside during the fires, the air was at a zero, meaning it was hazardous to breathe. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing because I was breathing that air and it was really concerning to see how low the quality was. And the wildfires were getting pretty close to, to Tracy. They were. Yeah. And so um, you've also had the chance to actually present on environmental issues to state agencies and conferences with Delta DAPS and then the Phoenix Consultation for Children's Right to Healthy Environment. Can you share a little on what you talked about? Because that's really cool. Yeah. Yes, with both of those presentations, I had the amazing opportunity to present with other youth on the environmental issues that we've seen in Stockton and just in our respective areas. Um, some of these include concerning issues like extreme heat, poor water quality, and unhealthy impacts on farm workers, as well as our solutions to those problems, which ranged from things like more green spaces, more recycling opportunities, and regenerative agriculture. Yeah, and then how did it feel like, um, what was the experience like for you being a young person? And I know in one of those meetings, it was a room, uh, a virtual room full of adults. And then in the other one, it was really uh, very youth-centered. What, what was it like to have your voice heard and be a part of it? It felt indescribably empowering to know that all eyes, virtual eyes in the room were on me and my fellow presenters um, and all ears were listening to the issues that we cared about and it felt nice to be taken seriously by adults rather than chastised for speaking our minds about the issues that we see and it felt nice to know that we were on our way to making real changes rather than just speaking. I am not the only youth by any means who cares about the environment, so I interviewed some other youth 
and ask them about what environmental issues they saw and care about and what they're doing about them. And here's what these youth have to say. I'm Jayla Ferris, I'm 16 and I go to West High School and I care about landfill waste and to help out I recycle all my bottles and I take them to the recycling every like three or so months to make sure that I'm doing my part to help. My name is Jocelyn Silvera, I'm 16 and I go to West High. The environmental issue that I care about is climate change and the way that I help with that is I use electricity less, I go outside more instead of watching TV, I'm active, and I don't use electricity. Hi everyone, my name is Maya Gill, I'm 15 years old and I go to Merrill F. West High School and an environmental issue I care about is excessive landfills that produce a lot of greenhouse gases and what I'm doing about it is I have a compost bin in my backyard. So I'm Raina, I'm 16, I go to West High. Um, one environmental issue I care about is climate change. Uh, for I guess what am I doing to help solve it? I mean, trying to be more mindful of the things I throw away and yeah. A really awesome opportunity that we were able to get involved with. Just to share a little bit more about it, one of our close uh, partners, UC Davis Center for Regional Change that really partners with us on youth action research uh, allowed us to get involved in this, I guess, global conference where it was bringing in young people who were environmental activists from Canada, uh, the United States, and Mexico together for a convening to compile what are youth's demands for environmental action and be able to create this document that's really collaboratively uh, has input from everyone to be able to inform the United Nations on um, children's perspectives on climate change. And like Jazzy shared, she was able to bring in the perspective on what's happening in a Stockton context around like air quality and uh, water issues and the wildfires. Um, and a lot of the issues were similar in other places as well. And uh, it was just awesome to hear just the different perspectives. And so we wanted to share some of the different audio clips from those as well to elevate just some of the other campaigns and cool uh, organizing that young people are doing in other parts of the world. Islands fade while we think of those we thought of not or wish we stopped as we have not. Our forests burn, our seas all rise, all those precious now lost lives. We've known for long what dangers hide, yet those in power stood aside. In future, when we all look back, will we see this problem past? Will our world be blue and green, or will it just be smoke and ash? In present, we must choose our path, life and love for what in cash. We must change ways and make amends for what we've taken from our land. Our children must get what we have, not a world that's burnt and bland. We must take care of what we have to fight for our lives, sea and land. I came to Canada alone as a teenager at the age of 18. Because I was living in a refugee camp, I did not have the chance or the capacity to learn about climate change and its impact on my physical, mental, spiritual health and well-being. When I arrived in Canada, I did not receive any orientation regarding the climate change emergency and ways to mitigate it through day-to-day -day practices such as sustainability and household waste management. 
I first learned about climate change at the age of 19 when I took a One Health and Planetary Health class at the university. In this class, I learned about the effects of climate change on generations to come and other contemporary environmental disasters that we are experiencing that can be attributed to climate change. This class also made me reflect on my past experiences in the refugee camp. I reflected on the constant droughts that we're experiencing in the refugee camp, food insecurity due to harsh weather and heat waves, rising children malnutrition and declining mental and physical well-being, rising asthma attacks due to dry environments and dust. Is this an environment that you would want your children to grow up in? Because if you do not take action now, the rest of the world will end up in this situation. So during my research on youth climate activists, I found a lot of really cool examples of youth activists that are incredibly inspiring and I wanted to highlight them for you guys. So the first is Leah Thomas. Um, you can find her on Instagram at Green Girl Leah. She is a woman of color environmentalist and the founder of the Intersectional Environmentalist Platform, which is a resource and media hub advocating for inclusive environmental justice. It's an online platform that's filled with resources and information to educate people about intersectional environmental justice, which is a branch of environmental justice that is just as much about the people as it is about the environment. You can find the website at www.intersectionalenvironmentalist.com. The next in, um, environmentalist that I wanted to highlight was Zia Bastida. Um, you can also find her on Instagram at Z-A-B-E-A-R-A. She is also a woman of color environmental justice advocate and one of the lead organizers of Fridays for Future Youth Climate Strike Movement. It's an international movement consisting of over 10 million youth all over the world who skip school on Fridays to participate in demonstrations demanding climate justice. They strive to put pressure on policymakers to take immediate action against climate change. You can visit their website to learn more about the Fridays for Future Youth Climate Strike at fridaysforfuture.org. And last but not least, the last environmentalist I wanted to give information about is Jocelyn Charger. Again, on Instagram, you can find her at Jocelyn Charger. Um, she is a Cheyenne River Sioux tribe, and she's an indigenous activist fighting for the preservation of Native American reservations. She co-founded the International Indigenous Youth Council to empower other young people to fight for their communities. She organized an anti-pipeline water run that protested the Dakota Access Pipeline. And as we learned this month, this campaign was successful as the developers of the Keystone XL Pipeline officially terminated the project. So we've heard of so many different examples of young people and why they um, started caring about the environment and how they've been getting involved. And I find those all pretty amazing. How do you feel after interviewing um, those other youth and do you feel like there's any common thread between everything that we've learned? 
Um, it feels great to know that people my age are making mindful changes to help the environment and save the planet. And one very obvious common thread is that we are all fighting for change. Um, because we know that in order to have a future, we have to fight for it. And how do you think we can spark more youth to get active and feel encouraged and supported? Um, I think one way, since as I mentioned before, a lot of youth are um, active users of social media, we could share more resources um, through social media. Um, we could also connect environmental issues to relevant things that youth, myself included, care about, like clothes to fast fashion, which is terrible for the environment, um, car cars and fossil fuels to transportation, uh, beaches to ocean trash dumps and sea level rise. And then lastly, I think one of the most important ways to get youth active is to educate them in school. We can have classes about environmental justice, educate youth about how their actions affect the environment and how they could develop better, more eco-friendly habits. Because I think in order to solve a problem, you need to be aware that there is a problem in the first place. And are there other resources or places for people to learn more about um, this issue about youth um, climate action? Yes, since a lot of youth, again, are active on social media, here are some social media accounts that will give you more information on the climate justice movement. One is the is intersectional environmentalist on Instagram. Um, again, on Instagram, there's Sunrise Movement, Fridays for Future, Easy Eco Tips, Earth Hub Co, and Jamie underscore S underscore Marco Lynn. And there are also local organizations that aren't just on social media, like Restore the Delta, Little Manila Rising, Buentes, Rising Sun Center for Energy, Third City Coalition, Restore the Delta, Catholic Charities, Rise Stockton, Edible Schoolyards, and Grid Alternatives, which are just a few. Awesome. So thank you so much. If you've been listening um, on this podcast, we're really excited. This is our first one and um, wanted to share information uh, as in this episode, we first started going into the issue of redlining and how that's impacted the neighborhood that I grew up, the Little Manila neighborhood. And actually in the next episode, we'll be zoning in on that topic a little bit more, talking about air pollution and asthma effects, as well as an interview we'll be doing with Little Manila Rising. So please stay tuned, follow our podcast, and thank you so much for your support. Thank you guys for listening.